Good morning, Autumn Ridge Church. My name is Otis Hall. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so happy to be with you here in our auditorium and you who are at home. So the time of debate is over. It's past Thanksgiving and all of us people who love to decorate can unleash everything that they have upon their houses and their trees and make Christmas the way that it should be. I have to admit that I'm one of those people that would love to jump the gun before Thanksgiving and decorate our house. As a matter of fact, the, the night of Thanksgiving morning, I snuck down in the middle of the night and hung the stockings up above the, tree, above the fireplace. I know I live with two women who would prefer me not to be as excited as I am about decorating the house and putting lights on the tree and hanging ornaments, but there's something so magical about what happens in this season, in those days, in those moments as we move towards the birth of our Savior. That I just can't wait. There's something so, so calming and beautiful about the twinkling little lights nestled in the branches of the tree that help calm the hustle and bustle of the season. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And and as you look around our auditorium, it's now set in a festive way. It is set up for us to lean into the Christmas season. But it's more than just beautiful. The, the decorations have a liturgical meaning to them. They draw us to something that's coming. They move us into Advent. So welcome to the first week of Advent. Welcome to the first week of a series that we're calling Adventually. It's a, it's a series for everyone. It is a, it is a series for people who are happy in this season, looking forward to spending time with family, looking forward to the celebrations that are coming, the baking of cookies, the, the sharing of the stories of our families and their past. It's also for people who are hurting in this season that, that feel alone, that are, that are seeking something. And it's also for the people who may be a little bit curious and, and very much skeptical about the ideas of, Christmas itself. Why, why in this modern age are there groups of people that are holding on to this idea that seems so mythical that should be put aside in this modern era of understanding? But it's such a beautiful thing, this Advent thing. But if you were like me, you, you may have grown up not knowing at all what Advent was. When, when I grew up in church, we didn't celebrate Advent. I, I knew that there were things in the stores that you could buy where my friends were eating chocolate every day. And I had no understanding of what those things were and what they were for. It wasn't part of my upbringing in the church. So I, I want to stop for a moment for people who grew up like me who have no idea what this, this strange thing of Advent is where we light candles every week. I want to tell you that the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus. It simply means coming or arrival. But in our, in our practices, it is something so much deeper than that. We don't really know when the practice of Advent, the, the moving through the four weeks of the season before we get to Christmas, became part of the liturgical calendar. But what we do know that around 480 AD, there were some monks at the Council of Tours, and they were asked to fast three times a day for 30 days before Christmas. 
We're not about to ask you to fast for 30 days and three times a day before Christmas. It's just so that we have an understanding because I wouldn't want to do that. There's too much cookie baking to go on. There's too much food to be eaten between now and then. But, but that's probably the basis of where we get our preparation and anticipation of Christmas being built. And this term, Adventus, is not new. It's not centered on Christianity. It is a term that was used in the times of the Caesars all the way to Constantine. They were, there were these moments in cities and towns called Adventus ceremonies. They were a time of preparation and anticipation of something that was coming of someone who was going to arrive in their town and bless them and protect them in the errors of their age, the kings were coming. And in order to prepare, you would do things like repair the roads and rebuild the buildings and prepare special meals and decorate your houses. And doesn't it sound familiar to those of us that have been in our faith about what we do in this season? But for us now, for us in the Western church, what Advent is, is a celebration of the four weeks before Christmas in which we take some time to think about what's coming and focus on what it is that Jesus is going to do in this season. It draws us into the awe and wonder of the season, that natural anticipation that comes with Christmas. Think about all the things that you've already done. Think about all the ways that you've already stepped into the anticipation of what is to come. You've decorated a tree. You've hung stockings on the fireplace. You've decorated the lights on your house. I mean, for goodness sake, I have a light-up deer in the back of my car that's waiting for me to finish today so that I can go and put it in my yard. It is about that. But for people who the season is not so merry and bright, it even reveals something for us. For those people who are in the room, that are online, that are in our community, that, that are seeking something, that are yearning for something better. Something that outside, outshines the temporary amusements of life and will shine a light in the darkness that feels like it is constantly around them. And I just want to tell you that with no pretense, with no other thoughts, that Jesus is that light. He is the light that we remember, receive, and reflect. And it is with him we have faith and hope and peace and love and salvation. And in this season, that's what we want you to remember. This series thesis is something that we would like for you to think about as we move towards Christmas, as we move to our Christmas Eve services. Remember, receive, and reflect the light. During the next four weeks, we will hear a lot about light. Our worship services will involve lighting of candles, reminding us of the light of the world that is to come, building expectation as we light one flickering candle a week, moving to Christmas, moving to the birth of our Savior in a manger, moving to what he is to become. And then past that to the anticipation of him returning and bringing to light all of the things that he promised to us in Scripture. 
But we aren't there yet. We have a ways to go. And as much as I am so excited about all the lights and all the joys and and all the time that I'll get to spend with my six-year-old on the floor teaching her about the truth of what Christmas is, I don't want us to rush. We have to take this journey. And in this series, our journey will take us through key passages in the book of Isaiah. We will walk through them and they will connect us to this idea that they knew the light would eventually come. We know the light has come. They anticipated his coming. They had heard for generation upon generation that a Messiah was going to come and answer all of the things that God had promised. They had faith in it. They believed with all of who they were that this was going to come, even if they didn't live to see it. We, we're on the other side of that. We, we know that the Messiah has come. We know that he lived the perfect life, that he was born in a manger, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, that he rose again to bridge the gap for you and for me. We knew and know that he is here. We also know that he is the light because in John chapter 8, John chronicles Jesus saying this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the light we remember, receive, and reflect this Christmas. And as we move through the passage of Isaiah, we will hear about how these aspects of Advent will help us do just that. To remember, reflect, and receive. We have hope. We have faith, we have hope, we have love, we have peace, and we have salvation. But today we're going to begin our journey with faith. And for those of you that are in the church, I know that you are now immediately going to a passage in your head that tells you what the definition of faith is. You're immediately thinking about Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And we will get there. It's coming. But I want to start with this as our definition of faith. Faith is confidence that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. That sounds really simple, right? You just have to believe he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he's going to do. And with that, let's reread the text of Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. The nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let's walk into the light of the Lord. What we've heard, what we've read this morning is, is without a doubt an Advent moment. 
I know the people of Israel would not have called it that way. They would not use that term, but it is undoubtedly what Isaiah is describing, that something is coming. Something that is coming that is going to change the very fabric of the world. And that we, they, should be anticipating a change that is going to come. What he's talking about is not something abstract. He's trying to remind them that God is going to fulfill all of the promises that he made to their ancestors over the years. He, this is the moment. This is the truth about what God is going to do. He was going to take the stories that they had from generation to generation and move them from just things that they hoped for. That they lived their life standing firmly because of into reality. I think that's a message for us today. Even when things aren't so merry and bright, even when things are hard in our lives, when we struggle with things, we should remember the words of Isaiah. We should remember the words that Jesus said about himself, that we should walk in the light and that that light is not something abstract. It's not a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves to make ourselves feel better in the moment. It is truth built on fact, built on proven answers to prayers, built on proven examples of not leaving us in the places where we deserve to be, but moving us to the places where God wants us to be. It's the promise that we'll never walk alone in any of the darkness. What Isaiah saw was something coming. What he saw in this moment was, in truth, the changing of the whole world. And again, for his people, all of the things that he said would bring back memories of the promises that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And he's calling them back to move them in this place where they are feeling disconnected and hurting to a place where their hope becomes more than that. It becomes faith that they have confidence that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. You see, Isaiah chapter 2 describes the day when God's promises to Judah that were often obscured by defeat and judgment and historical circumstances would be fully realized in history. It would be a day when glory outshines shadow and joy extinguishes sorrow, when peace silences violence, when rebellion concedes to obedience. It would be a day when this happens, when faith becomes sight. They imagined that day every day of their lives, the day that all of the things that they had been told, that all of the things that they had based their life on, that they stood in front of people who tossed them into lion's dens and, and all other ways to believe would become sight. And that's the key, isn't it? Because without that, without that faith, without that step, without that confidence, it would be easy for the world to look at what we believe and say that Israel wasn't at all unique in believing that its capital city was the center of the world. Other cultures of the day from Mesopotamia to Egypt all claimed the same, especially in the era where kings and emperors elevated themselves to the level of God. It would be easy to look at 
Israel from a historical standpoint and point out all the absurdities in what we read today. Absurdities like that the mountain of God, the place of Zion was never the tallest of mountains in the area. Even if you just looked at the ones that were close by, it would be easy to say that the nations never flocked to Jerusalem to find wisdom on how they should live. It would be easy to say that God never entered into the profession of international mediation and that the war that was going on in the world there and then is still going on in the world to this very day. Whatever the realities are spoken of in this text, they rest in hope and promise, not at all in reality. Similar things could be said about us as we look forward to Jesus' glorious return, as we pray for that in this season, as, as this Advent drives us to look into the future. The claims that we believe that Jesus' return will make from faith into sight would be seen as equally absurd. There would be claims like this, that truth will defeat falsehood, that the dead will rise, that the devil and his armies will be destroyed, that death itself will die. Those of us that have faith know and can see that God is working in all of these spaces, but, but to those that aren't to this point, to those that aren't walking with Jesus yet, all of these things are obscured by the tragedies of history and the pain of the present. The promises of God contradict much of what we see in the world today. But we have to pray. And we have to hope. And more than that, we have to have faith to believe what God has told us is going to happen, will happen in all of its glory and in all of its absurdity. We have to remember that Advent looks back and Advent looks forward. We look back as they did upon all of the ways that God has been with us throughout the ages, answering all of the promises that he made to us. Not the promises that we make for him, but the ones that he has made, he has always carried out from the time of the Old Testament to today. And we look back in this season, preparing for the day of his birth to celebrate that the light has stepped into the world. But just like them, we have to look forward. Just like they had to look forward every day to the day when what they knew, what they believed in, what they stood upon was going to become flesh. We have to do the same. As we look forward to Jesus' expectant return, we have to have the faith that they had. So how do we do that? As we think about their lives, a quote from Frederick Bruckner comes to mind. He's an author and a pastor, and he says this about faith. Faith is homesickness. Faith is a lump in the throat. Faith is less a position on than a movement toward, less a sure thing than a hunch. Faith is waiting. Faith is journeying through space and through time. And when we think about the people that we read about in the Bible, doesn't this describe their life? Isn't Homesickness, 
what you understand that they have when they're in exile or when they're being conquered or when the temple isn't built, when they, when they want to move to the place where they know God has promised them and see that land of milk and honey. What about the lump that's in their throat every time that they know that they have sinned and stepped away from God and they cry out to him and he returns? Can you just, can you feel it? Can you feel the lump in their throat, the love that God has given them, calling them to well up in the idea that what he said he will do, he will do. What about the waiting? They waited to see something that they never got to see. What about, what about the journeying through space and through time? That's clearly what's going on with Isaiah in this moment. He is seeing something far in the distance. As if to step right into this quote for me, studying, Charles Spurgeon says this about faith. That, so it is with faith. No man believes against his will to the saving of his soul. There must be a desire to trust Christ or else there cannot be true faith. And that's what they had. And that's what we should have. Those of us that are fully devoted followers of Jesus have to have a desire to trust Christ no matter what is going on in our life, no matter what is going on in the world. We have to remember the promises that he made and has already answered and believe the truths that he has told us are yet to come. Isaiah had that type of faith. It's what made his vision so extraordinary. As you read the book in Hebrew, as you think about the extravagance of the language that he used, the, the specificity of what he was saying, the, the text comes to life. Starting with the opening of the book. The opening of the book is very different than many of the other prophets that start their book saying in the words or the word of such and such a prophet. Instead, Isaiah starts his book by saying, this is the vision of Isaiah. And he doesn't use a simple word that is just the reference to just see something, like you see a tree standing in the distance. He uses a different type of word. He didn't, he didn't see with his eyes, which would be ra'ah. He, he used a word that would elevate what he saw to the prophetic. He, he used the word for vision. He used the word hazan, which would have signified to the people of his day that what he was seeing was something beyond human sight. It was not just what Isaiah thought was going to happen, but it was what God was revealing to him was to come. And so his choice of words mattered because they brought up images to the people so that they would know that they were about to receive something that they could put their faith in, that they could rest upon. You see, Isaiah had seen God's temple and that the nations were going to flock to it. He says it here. He says, in the last days of the mountains of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains and it will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop and say all of the nations and watch. What he says is, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He's not taking a passive role. This is an active moment in his life. It's an active moment for us because it's not something that's abstract. It is, it is the word of God come true 
But without that faith component, we might miss it. We might relegate this moment to something tangible. Without the complete understanding, people hope for things that they could see and they can understand. We understand why they would do that. For the people of his time, they would have relegated this promise of the kingdom. And really, we probably do the same. To the physical nature of the blessing, looking for something tangible that we could grab onto, that we could walk into. But faith is beyond that kind of hope. What Isaiah is giving us a vision of is something that's so far beyond something that we can physically grab onto in the moment. Because what he's talking about is based on the promises of the one who made them and who will complete them. The one who controls all things and has made all things and determines all things. But I'm going to ask the question again. Did, did you miss it? Because I missed it when I first read this text. For years, this was separated for me from what was happening in the New Testament. This was just another prophecy of Jesus to come. But what we should realize is that what Isaiah saw was the person who John loved and walked with. Just like for us, what John saw is what we now anticipate looking forward to Jesus' glorious return for us to spend time with him. And this is what John said in Revelation 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You see, Jesus was, he is, and he always will be the temple. It's not a building. It's not a place, but it is simply truth in our life. And so I want us to read Isaiah chapter 2, parts, parts of that um, text again. And I just want to add one word that would add clarity to what is happening in this moment for us who are on the other side of the temple becoming flesh. It's a, it's a way of seeing this text that they would not have understood because they've not yet seen Jesus. Let's read it this way. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to Jesus, the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting the way that Isaiah presents this as, as sort of a choice for people? We get to see Jesus. But what Isaiah gave the people was a choice that they could either decide to walk in his way, walk in his light, or choose to reject it and not stream to the temple. But I would say in this season for you and for me that we have to move past that. We, we have to let go of the idea of our preferences of what church should be and what type of Christians we should be and how we were raised or how we were taught and focus only on the person of Jesus, because he is the light. He is what we remember. He is what we receive. And he is what we should reflect in the world, because those are his ways. Let's fix our light, fix our eyes on the light, because we have faith built not on empty hope, but on what God has already done in the lives of the people that we read about and the lives of the people who are next to you in this room or sitting next to you at home. 
faith is the building block that we move into hope and love and peace and salvation with. The author of Hebrews defines faith this way. He says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And he doesn't stop there. The author then goes on to list a group of people who lived their whole life by faith and died before they got to see the realization of what they believed in. And he starts each of the paragraphs this way. He starts by saying, by faith. They lived their life by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Adam. They lived their entire lives built on the promises of God, standing in confidence of faith in one that they never lived to see. And now it's our turn. For those of you that are believers but have wandered away, it's time for you to stand on the faith of the promises that God has made. They're not empty. And so I have to ask this question, how is it that we should reflect the light? We do what they did. We believe and we stand and we live our lives every day as if the promises of God will come true because they will. And we know it based on the lives of the people who are sitting next to you, based on the lives of the people that we read about every day in our Bibles. And then we'll get to this. We know that the law went out from Zion. We know that the word from Jerusalem went out. We know that God judges the nations and will settle dispute between many people. But we haven't gotten yet to this. What this means for us is that we have to relinquish all of the things that we hold onto so dearly that give us power and comfort and make us feel temporarily happy and turn them over to the one who is our Lord, the light, the one who answers all of the promises, the one who delivers on the things that he says. We have to be willing to go back to the place where we trust God to provide. And so it's easy for me to stand here and tell us that we understand how we should reflect the light, but the bigger question that I think we should ask ourselves in this room and at home is this one. Are we willing to reflect the light? Are we willing to step out of our comfort places in this season and talk to the people in our lives who may have wandered away or don't know Jesus? Are you willing to reflect Jesus in the world no matter what that means for you, no matter how uncomfortable it may make you feel? Do you remember the last person that you shared your faith with? Do you know people in this season that are having a time that's not so merry and bright that could use the light of Jesus in their life? And are you willing to go and share it with them, even if their response feels like war? I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do as we wait for his glorious return, that we know that he will return and make all of those things that we believe in by our faith visible for the world, we have to, in this moment, reflect him in every way. And so for those of you who are in the room that are 
wandering and still trying to figure out about how I step into this light, this place where people in this room seem to settle and have peace in the most difficult of times, this is what I would tell you. It is the same thing that I would tell each and every one of us as we leave this place and step into the world during this Advent season and beyond that we should tell everyone that we meet that we should bring them to the temple of the God of Jacob and we should tell them that they should come and walk into the light of the Lord today. Thank you.